Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And you can see I am surrounded today. Uh, where Our topic is uh, the Me Too movement and uh, abuse. And I have three guests. Uh, to my far left is Jarita Williams, who we've had on the table before. Uh, uh, and she is our Former student body president, I guess is the way to say it now. And and what are you doing now, Jarita? Where, where, where are you headed in terms of ministry? Yeah, so I ended my tenure as um, the student body president in April, and then April 1st, mm -hmm. I began as the associate director of the Center for Missional Outreach for the North Texas Conference for the United Methodist Church. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you take a deep breath and go. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So God's kind of shifted me, and it's um, just work after my own heart. I'm mm -hmm. helping uh, the UMC be in ministry with their neighbors, particularly um, people who are in underserved um, communities. And then next to me on my left is Jan Langbein, who runs the Genesis Shelter. Is that right here in the city? Right. I'm CEO of the Genesis Women's Shelter and okay. support. The support's okay. a big piece of it. So, okay. yes, here in Dallas. Here in Dallas. And uh, actually, that's not located very far from where we are, right? Here on the campus? Well, or we're the, the sort of all over Dallas. Okay. We have the non residential, which is just on Love, uh, Lemon Avenue. Okay. The shelter, the transitional housing, the school, the daycare, they're all in a secret location. Obviously, for the safety of the moms and kids who are there. Okay, and we'll be mm -hmm. talking about what Genesis Shelter is in a minute. And then uh, Joy uh, Pedro is is here and uh, tell us uh, you're uh, you just graduated. I so, did. So I should tell you congratulations. Thank you. And and you're headed into D-Men work. Is yes, that right? Yes, I just started the D-Edmen. Uh huh. And my big passion is to free women from shame, uh -huh. whether it's sexual addiction, sexual abuse. I want to break those chains and help them find freedom. Very, very good. Okay, so I'm just going to go around and say, and th this is our normal first question, how did you get interested or involved in this in this area in our topic and 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 in issues of uh, of sexual abuse? Charita, I'll start with you. Well, I'll start with saluting Sojourner Truth, uh -huh. who said, "Ain't I a woman?" Uh -huh. uh, so intersectionality is what um, got me interested. I'm a woman, been a woman all my life, uh -huh. and um, the abuses that particularly um, black women have suffered because of the historical um, abuse and dehumanization of um, black women as enslaved people. Mm -hmm. um, caught my attention as the Me Too movement moved because Tarana Burke, who is a mm -hmm. black woman, an African-American woman who started the movement or uh, coined the term Me Too or mm -hmm. the um, what is now um, seen as the hashtag, was erased from the conversation initially. Mm -hmm. And that's the history that um, black women um, live with every day. And I'm so grateful that Joy invited me on so that um, we can make sure that we have the voice of black women. And I'm not the voice, yeah. but um, just a part of the representation of what that's like. And so um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to sit at the table and I'm praying and hoping that um, God will use this conversation with all of us to um, help heal not just um, um, our survivors of sexual violence, 
uh, but also uh, the perpetrators because that's what keeps the cycles going. Mm -hmm. Now, you used a technical term that I want you to define, intersectionality. You tell, tell people what that is because some people may not know. Yeah. So um, intersectionality was coined by um, Kimberly uh, Crenshaw, mm -hmm. uh, who's um, a legal um, a legal a lawyer by trade and she found that as she was fighting for her um, clients that um, there was uh, no intersection for uh, black women mm -hmm. so uh, anti-discrimination laws um, and uh, laws that were addressing sexism did not consider the complex um, uh, overlapping and mm -hmm. combining ways in which systems lock out black women and how they are subordinated. Mm -hmm. And so intersectionality speaks to that intersection. It speaks to um, how black women um, have a unique way of being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. And so um, we'll shout out, you know, mm -hmm. uh, all of the, the women that I uh, hold dear. Um, most of the books and most of the, the research and the data um, addressed men who were all black and women who were all white and it never did um, um, uh, intersect with black women. So it's almost an invisible factor. Absolutely. Yeah. An erasure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jan, talk about your involvement with, with the Genesis Shelter. Absolutely. And, yeah. So I have been actually involved with Genesis for 30 years. I started mm -hmm. as a volunteer on the hotline. Um, I'm not from abuse. I really didn't think about it. And if I did think about it, I was just sure that it happened to somebody who didn't live near me or look like me or work like I do or go to school where I went to school. And um, it was actually through the Junior League of Dallas. I was a member mm -hmm. and sat on the back row and kind of rolled my eyes when <laughs> the people at the front said, you can make a difference in this world, and I didn't think they were talking about me. Uh, but of course, we were talking about God's jokes, right. <laughs> got lots oh, of them. Yes. <laughs> and somehow I moved from the back row to the front row and yeah. signed up for Genesis. I thought it was going to be the easy way out mm. of this placement requirement. As it turns out, it was not. So this um, is a junior became, league place. Well, it was to begin yeah. with. It got me started. Mm. And when I got down there and I realized that, you know, battered women are tall and short and fat and thin and mm. black and white and Hispanic, and the only common thing thread I could find was among all victims who come to Genesis is that they were in a relationship with an abusive partner. Um, after three years of volunteering, the opportunity came up to be the director, and I went from one Tuesday answering the phone to being in charge on the next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, somebody had faith in me. I had none in myself. I had mm -hmm. never read a financial statement. I had never managed a staff. Um, but uh, once once you see it, once you know it, I don't know how you turn your back on it mm -hmm. until it's fixed. Mm. I was so interested in what you were talking about with regards to black women. I think I could take exactly your words and take out black and put in battered. They are isolated by design. They are forgotten. They are they are discredited. Um, uh, all the kinds of things that you were talking about. I think we're talking about uh, uh, with regards to victims of domestic violence as well. So it's been an interesting journey for me. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And Joy, what about yes, you? Yes, yeah. yes. So I became a Christian in college and experienced date rape and abuse a little before that. And so I, as a new believer, couldn't find resources to deal with my abuse and to deal with pornography that I was struggling with. And so I started to create these resources. I started my blog, joypedro.com, and started writing about the things people weren't talking about. And so when the Me Too movement went viral, it wasn't a shock to me. It wasn't a surprise to me. I knew that uh, one in four women are sexually abused. 
And so I went on Facebook and I wrote Me Too. And in the beginning, I was uh, behind this lens of white privilege. I thought it was just about sexual abuse. I didn't know that there was more to the story. I didn't know about the power and the privilege that was all wrapped around this issue. And so because of my history with abuse, it gave me uh, to write Me Too. And the most powerful part of it was seeing friends that I hadn't talked to in years also contact me saying me too and to create this way that victims can connect with each other and not be alone anymore. So that is how I got involved. Hmm. Well, uh, this raises all kinds of series of questions, but I want to start off by talking about uh, the Genesis Shelter. Tell us how that how that works and how people can find out about it and kind of it's a little bit of its history. Sure. No, for, uh, this was at, the Genesis Women's Shelter and Support was actually started in partnership between the Episcopal Diocese and the, and Grace Presbytery um, here in Dallas, and it was it rose up out of the soup kitchen at First Presbyterian Church, hmm. recognizing that women can become homeless um, as they flee to safety, not not chronically but situationally homeless. Um, with regards to the shelter, that was our initial footprint, a place like an emergency room of a hospital, a place where moms and kids could go when they are running out the front door. But over the years, of course, we have recognized that that, um, abuse doesn't have to be a push, a slap. A, a slap or a shove. Mm-hmm. It can also be financial. It can also mm-hmm. be spiritual. It can also be um, emotional and verbal. And many of those those things are, can be as painful, if not more. They can be even as deadly. Um, the uh, so what Genesis has done over the years is create a full service response. Now that so that no matter where she falls into it, um, if she hasn't left or has other residential resources, we can still provide the same counseling information, referral, access to civil legal representation at our non-residential office. If she is running out the door with the clothes on her back, we've got a spot for her to sleep tonight. Mm. Um, If it is an issue of long-term need, we have transitional housing. Uh, We have daycare so she can go back to work. We have a lawyer who can walk into court with her and say this is not her fault. And surrounding that with the advocacy and the the counseling for moms and for kids who, uh, who have been told you are not good enough, Mm -hmm. um, are once again told, this is not your fault. There is help and there is hope. So that's Mm -hmm. what we've been doing for 35 years. So if people wanted to find out about about the uh, Genesis Shelter, what would they, how would they do that? I think the best way would be go to our website, genesisshelter.org. There is certainly a hotline. It's listed there. Another interesting thing, or several interesting things, there is a blog on our our website talking about the different issues, guns, gun submissions mission and uh, the Me Too movement, and it needs to be more than a hashtag. Uh, but there's also how to help a friend. Every single one of us, everybody who will be listening to this podcast, will know somebody, a sister, a friend, a co-worker, who needs to know how to get help, um, and then how we can be of help, how to believe her, how to understand what she's going through, um, to be able to talk about, like you were saying, uh, the, the shame of, of the somehow feeling it's her fault, the, the fear of being in it but the terror of leaving it. Um, I think that we so easily ask the question, 
I'm sorry, you said keep these answers short. <laughs> We've not met before today, but that's almost impossible for me, Dr. Bach. Um, they, we're all, all so often asked the question, you know, why doesn't she just get out? And certainly that's an easy question for which there are no easy answers. As you were saying, we need to start asking, why does he do it? Mm-hmm. And keep the questions what they should be. So bottom line, go to our website. There's help if you or someone you know needs help. There are ways to get involved on the website, how to contribute to the benefit thrift store, how to write a check how to volunteer down there. So I, I would suggest uh, if you want to get in touch with us, the website's the best way. And and how much uh, how much contact uh, exists for for pastors who may need to refer someone or something like that? And the reason I ask the question is when I led a spiritual formation groups here on campus for a while, we used to take a day and walk over to the shelter and I would take the students over there to, to one, show that this was happening and two, um, to be aware of what the ministry was and three, to acquaint them with what they might do should they be in a counseling situation that that might require. How does that I really appreciate you bringing up this aspect of it and um, I'm not sure we have enough time to keep talking about it, but we, are, we open our doors. Mm-hmm. What we know and, and we love working with the faith communities because what we know is as a mentioned earlier, spiritual abuse can be one uh, – if that is what is the most important thing to her, that will become his choice of weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm told I'm not a godly wife, if I'm told to go home and pray about this, if I'm told forgive and forget instead of forgive and hold accountable, we find that faith communities actually, uh, uh, depending on how they practice, can become fertile ground for abuse. We find women who are steeped in a, a very uh, a faith community who are probably less likely to to get help uh, to tell and least likely to reach out to a secular organization That's like right. ours. Yep. So I encourage everyone come take a tour, come get involved. Know the know the know the 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 ins and outs before you need them. And if you say if that pastor ever comes up on it, if that pastor hasn't come up on it, mm-hmm. then they're not asking the right questions. They're not preaching it from the pulpit. They're not talking to that congregation in ministry. So because it is there when I tell you one out of every 3 women uh, boy, I'm on a tear this morning, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> One out of every three women, so count it off in the pews. Mm-hmm. So we absolutely not only welcome, we seek out partnerships within the faith communities uh, to address this issue. Women who will not call a shelter, will not call the police, most often will turn to their faith at, uh, community as their support. And unfortunately, many, if not most of the time, they get the uh, get the wrong answers. Interesting. Or no answers at all. Yeah. Now, Jarita, uh, talk about uh, the, uh, if you if you will, um, what you've seen and what you hear about about this, particularly in uh, in black communities. Well, I wanted to speak um, to the the point of intersectionality when it comes to abuse. You really can't substitute one for the other because of the access that um, black women have. Seventy percent of most black churches are made up of women, mm-hmm. um, and so. When we think of what the intersections of employment and the sections of, um, you know, healthcare, um, when uh, Black women are um, four to five times more likely to die after they have children, um, that's a unique 
presence that we must address. And so I think that in my community, as I've grown up in a missionary Baptist church and I was a youth pastor as a in the Church of God, I think the signs of consent uh, or the, the culture of consent is what um, we could do um, deep work in. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, knowing what patriarchy looks like and sexism looks like mm-hmm. and addressing it from a patriarchal uh, system is hard to destroy. Mm-hmm. And so educating our pastors in the black community has been a hard fought thing to do because if we think about um, you know privilege mm-hmm. white privilege um, black men didn't have that in the in the overall um, you know um, majority culture mm-hmm. culture and so what we have to um, address is the same systems that oppressed um, white women is the same system that oppressed black men. And then you go to the deeper level of black women. And so we have uh, the opportunity to amplify the voices of the victims, the voices of those who survive um, this um, abuse. And so. I think um, understanding and training pastors from the perspective of race and gender and sexism, and we can also uh, speak to ability and sexuality and classism, because all of those things uh, intersect and combine to continue to keep black women uh, subordinated. And so I think as we do the research and as we pull out the data that um, continue to speak to what a lived experience for a black woman is, that may be the reason why she won't come to a JAN, because she might not have the access. And if we think through about the systems that continue like police brutality um, with uh, black men a lot of black women won't call the police because they um, are we're, we're super loyal Mm-hmm. Um, loyal to our fault a lot of times. Um, the, the family is, is born on our shoulders. Um, we're, we're mainly the ones that's in the workforce um, continuing to bring bread to the table m- many times when our husbands or, or boyfriends or uh, fathers of our children are in uh, prison. And so um, what we do is we keep silent because that's a cultural norm for us many times. Um, there's, there's a cultural norm uh, from Victorian ideals that says this is not what a proper woman should talk about in our community. And so Um, identifying the actual names of our body parts Mm -hmm. um, and allowing people to speak freely about what that looks like and what that sounds like in our community is critical. Um, We don't want to raise our two and three year olds to say, this is my my, my pot pot. Mm -hmm. We want to give them the accurate name of what they um, of of how God made them, of how God created them in order to speak um, well about uh, the beauty of God's body. And so uh, blackness has been, um, you know, there's been anti blackness uh, uh, from the inception of the country and so helping our community understand what that looks like and helping the the community of the church understand what that looks like is important so bringing in voices I think um, from uh, from black and brown um, women's voices I think are imperative for us to um, do the work to destroy what this sex what sexual violence does to not just the the black community because if it's a if it's um, affecting the black community is 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 certainly affecting and impacting the majority culture as well. Yeah. If I, could I jump in? Yeah. I don't. I don't want you to think or anybody to think that I was uh, disregarding the black experience. Sure. I was saying there were common factors: the isolation, the disregard. There sure. were common factors between yeah. women of color who are battered, right. uh, w- uh, white women who are battered. Um, the violence is the is is against someone else and so yeah. it's and about power and control yeah. which i think you were touching on then so but sure. uh, please don't misunderstand Absolutely. that i meant mm-hmm. that i was disregarding that experience other than building on it yeah i just wanted to clarify yeah. for sure for sure now you alluded to a culture of consent earlier on talk mm-hmm. we'll explain what that is yeah i, I 
when we think um, through how how our faith mm -hmm. says that we are redeemed by the Redeemer, Jesus the Christ, and so that redemption doesn't just come for me. It comes for those who offend Christ and offend the Imago Dei of those that are made in the image of God. And so I believe that as we uh, heal and work through the trauma with survivors, um, that's part of the, the Me Too um, campaign when it went viral, there there were stories that were shared that nobody had heard before, and there was no aftercare. And so I, we we in in part of the uh, Me Too movement on when Alyssa Milano uh, tweeted it, it started to focus on the perpetrators. When Toronto Toronto Burke's uh, purpose was to focus on the survivors, mm -hmm. and so I think that um, we certainly want to uh, ensure that we are re redeeming and that we are helping um, the perpetrator to walk through what it looks like to um, honor and to um, care for your sisters in Christ mm -hmm. and, and, and sisters in general if you're not a believer. And so I'm, I'm hoping that this will be a start for the church to create a culture of consent, which means that you ask to touch somebody. Mm -hmm. that, that's whether it's touching my hair, mm -hmm. uh, which is part of a historical mm -hmm. thing with black women. That's part of my body. Mm -hmm. Or if it's to hug you. Um, many times I've been hugged too long, mm -hmm. and it's my body, it's it's my comfortability, and helping men and women see that women are autonomous, mm -hmm. and they have the they have the right to say what their bodies should receive and should not receive. As a black woman, we didn't have that opportunity. It was it was in, until 1860. I think six or so before a black woman could even bring a rape case against a white man mm. because slaves in, or women who were enslaved with black skin didn't have the right to humanity because mm. once a woman says I've been raped or I've been touched or I've been sexually abused that means she's human mm -hmm. and so I'm hoping that we allow the teachings and the destruction of patriarchy, sexism, uh, racism, all of those things that uh, continue to keep people, women and men who've been abused as well, to keep them uh, before the people and to have a, a recurring teaching and understanding of what the culture of our church should be. Mm. We shouldn't be applauding the abuser. Mm -hmm. He should be uh, getting some help. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that this is what the conversation will begin to unearth and we can move forward so that the heat, that the cycle be, can be broken. Okay, so we've got yes. really two two elements here. We've got um, um, we've got the issue about the person who is abused, but then we also have the person who causes the abuse. What I'm going to want to do on the other side of the break, I can't believe how fast our time is going, um, is is to kind of split the second segment into those two parts to talk about uh, the really one of the things that's changed is that people are now coming forward and actually expressing what's taken place and that that's <laughs> that has scrambled the scrambled the egg I mean you know it, it really has changed the way in which people are reacting and then thinking about the perpetrator and how to deal with that and and and, and the communities, uh, involvement in that is an important part of this conversation. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. 
in Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Joy, we're going to start with you. You talked about when you experienced abuse, um, there was like nowhere to turn. And uh, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about kind of where you were when that happened and what's changed. Um, what, what do you think has happened um, in, in recent time to change that narrative? And yet I'm still sensing that getting concrete help is not the easiest thing mm-hmm. in the world. So, so put that, put that yes. puzzle together for us. So only one-third of victims actually report the abuse. And I think that goes with a lot of what Dorita said, where we're not believed. Mm-hmm. So when I first told a few people, they blamed me. They mm-hmm. they said it was my fault. And so that just creates a lot of shame, and that puts all of this guilt and shame onto you instead of putting it on the victim. It was their fault, not your fault. Um, and even Barna came out with a study recently that 2 to 6% of the accusations um, are false. So people say that, oh, we shouldn't believe these women that are com- coming forward, but only mm-hmm. 2 to 6% are lying. Mm-hmm. And so our gut response as a church should be to believe these women coming forward, not to say, oh, it's her fault because, you know, she was wearing, what was she wearing? That's a common question people have. Rather, we should believe her. Mm-hmm. So, so the issue of believability is, is important, and I think we've watched that play out in some of the exchanges we've seen in the public square recently and the tensions that that creates. Um, uh, but there also is the is the process of what's required to come out. Which mm-hmm. is, so let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. Yeah, so when I uh, I was in college and I went to the police on campus and they wanted you to do a full body mm-hmm. examination, which takes hours hours of basically getting raped again. Mm. And so as a victim who was trying to heal, I didn't want to go through that. And so that becomes, well, then there's no evidence now to support my claims. So then they made me tell my story in front of profess- this whole group of professors, the, the guy who raped me, mm. and to, to see if I was believable or not. And so if this is what is happening on colleges, I mean, what's happening, and and that's so much smaller, in a sense, compared to what our churches are doing. Um, But back to your other question, I think the Me Too movement has changed Mm -hmm. some of it, but it also hasn't. I mean, that fear of not being believed is still there. You still, to have proper evidence, have to get a rape kit, which takes hours. And so some women don't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. So what um, what advice would you give to someone who 
feels like they're coming forward in terms of what they are I don't know how else to ask this, what they're in for psychologically. I mean, um, because obviously um, to go through the retelling is like almost reliving mm-hmm. this experience. That's not easy. Um, and, and and yet you're in a situation where uh, where you've you've got to provide from a legal standpoint you've got to be able to provide evidence in order to in order to pursue this so what advice would you give to someone who's mm-hmm. who's who's caught in an abusive situation and and then I'll the second question will be and what advice would you give well, let's talk about the churches for a second when this comes up what's the best way for them to be structured in order to receive mm-hmm. such a report hmm okay well, some women don't have the option to have support. Mm-hmm. They don't have anybody in their life to have that support. For me, I would say surrounding yourself with yes people. So whenever mm-hmm. someone told me it was their fault, I kind of cut them out. Mm-hmm. I can't deal with you right now. I'm mm-hmm. going through a lot. You're a no person. Mm-hmm. I need yes people. Mm-hmm. And so to stay close to those friends that helped walk me through um, reporting it, going to counseling, finding a Christian counselor counselor was a game changer for me. And I did bring it to my church at the time. I brought it up with a woman and she began to disciple me and and met with me regularly. And that was a great way for the church to kind of minister to me, to have a system in place that if a woman comes to the the pastors or someone in the church, who are the people that are going to meet with these people to help them begin this process of healing? We think of the, the structure of the church. If all of leadership are men, where are the women going to turn? I was lucky that I had a Bible study leader that was a woman that I could turn to, but everyone on my, my pastors were men, my leadership team were all men. So So if I wasn't involved in that Bible study, I wouldn't know who to turn to. So I think a first step for our churches is to have that structure in place. We know that sexual abuse is happening. We know the people in our church are struggling. So who should be the point person that they come to? And to even have the structure in place of our one of our if one of our pastors are the abuser, what do we do? And to tell the church, hey, if this happens, these are the steps we're going to take to hold them accountable so that both the victim and the victimizer have know what's going to happen next. Okay, so uh, let me get pretty practical here. Um, I, I, what I'm hearing between the lines is is that it would be helpful in reporting to the church for the church to have a structure mm-hmm. in which it's women who are participating in receiving the report, et cetera, and that the woman who is the victim may need someone to represent her in the midst mm. of those conversations. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, that would be fabulous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, and so – um, that's that's one part of it, and then of course the second part of it, when you got very specific on what happens if the abuse is coming from within the church, which we also know does happen. Um, what what advice do you give in that particular situation? You know, same kind of structure in place, and, and but that may need that may need some internal uh, additional support hmm. from some of the men in the church in order for the whole thing to work to sort itself out. Right. Do you mean for the the victim? For, for, for the victim, yeah. Yeah, so as soon as she or he comes forth, it's a crime and it needs to be reported. And I think as the Me Too movement has brought to attention all of these cases where it wasn't reported, um, where it was taken 
kind of in control and only inside the walls of the church, we see that's where it kind of fell, fall apart, falling apart. And so for that victim, when it's in the church, if nobody believes her, to bring some outside sources in to stand by her, um, maybe would be the first step. Hmm. Now, I imagine the Genesis Shelter also provides resources in this regard and advice in this regard. So what, what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about – I mean, obviously, if they come to you, they've made a step. Right. So, um, so, so I guess the question is, what is it that you offer them that, that helps the woman through, and what advice would you give to someone who's kind of like, I don't know whether I should leave or not? Well, it, it definitely is a choice. I think mm-hmm. there's a, um, a, there has to be an understanding of what the issue is, uh, but there are some women who never will leave, and we understand we can walk beside her with, with uh, counseling and with advocacy. Um, but we also lay out this menu. Whether she comes to us or not, we want to be in the faith communities. We want to be in the schools. We want to be out in the community. So wherever she falls into the system, there is someone there to help. I was thinking, Joy, what you were saying about uh, women and men being the leadership of the church. You know, if the statistics say, whether it's sexual assault or domestic violence, uh, that one out of every three women will be impacted by this, that relatively means that one out of every three guys are doing it, mm-hmm. which means two-thirds are not. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's great to have – I do think it's great to have a system in place, and I love having women in leadership uh, that you feel comfortable and you can identify with. But I think men need to be more than the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. I think men need to stand mm-hmm. up and hold Absolutely. other men accountable and say, you know what, I'm not going to shake your hand. I am not mm-hmm. going to play golf with you because mm-hmm. I don't like how you joke about women. Mm-hmm. I have zero tolerance um, mm-hmm. for my mom, for my sister, and just because you don't perpetrate it isn't enough. Mm-hmm. So I think in the faith communities, men can really stand up. At Genesis, we have a, a men's organization called Heroes. He respects others. Mm-hmm. Along with our students tackle abusive relationship along with our madrinas to uh, deal with uh, to work in the latina culture as well but with that said men who go to court and sit on the bride side of the courtroom men mm-hmm. who mentor children one-on-one men who come and flip mm-hmm. hamburgers at the shelter on wednesday night um, so i think there's it's there is not one answer mm-hmm. uh, dr bach there it, it has to be this menu like you know, and I'm Methodist, so I don't quote the Bible as well as <laughs> DTS graduates, but um, uh, it, it, for those who have ears to hear it, if we only talk about um, the love of Christ one time a year, mm-hmm. I just didn't happen to be there on that Sunday. Mm-hmm. This isn't enough to talk about this in one place or in one month or on one day. Mm-hmm. We have to toss it out there and see where these seeds are going to grow. Um, so there isn't an easy answer. But uh, with regards to the understanding of of it. I think so many times, Joy, as you were saying, it's about what the victim did wrong. It's not your responsibility That's not right. to get raped. That's it's right. a rapist's responsibility not to rape. We know abuse will not stop until abusers stop mm-hmm. abusing. Um, and so uh, uh, we, we have to be support for one another, but also mm-hmm. hold each other accountable. Yes. yes. Now, Dorita, you said that one of the particular problems in, in the black community is sometimes there's a lack of support or a lack of resources to be able to utilize some of the some of the uh, means that might be provided. So, what what are the extra challenges 
of coming forward in the, in, in a black community? Uh, many times the the staff on um, or in our community is just the pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, many times, um, I, as youth pastor, I had about 23 volunteers. It was just my pastor and I who were full time um, in um, positions, and so I think. Um, Speaking to Jan's point with not just a one-time thing, I think we can leverage the the veneration of our pastors who, who are mainly male and saying this is going to be a continual theology of sexuality hmm. that we speak to, which speaks to the culture of cons- consent and the culture of honoring. And it's not because she wore the wrong dress or the, or too tight jeans. Mm-hmm. And so I think in our community is allowing us to come from a word um, like in Acts 12, um, who answers the door when Peter knocks? Mm-hmm. It's Rhoda, the mm-hmm. slave girl who Luke chooses to name. Mm-hmm. So he gives uh, this, the, the, this girl who has been marginalized, mm-hmm. who I would assume has been raped, who's been allowed to be a voice in the church, the early church. Rhoda comes back and she tells them, hey, Peter's at the door. And what do they do? They don't believe her. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we can establish a culture, particularly in the black community, where women are not just given a, a, a place to teach Sunday school, which I love because I'm, I'm, I'm still a Sunday school teacher, or not just given the place where she can cook the chicken in the, mm-hmm. in the kitchen, but she can have a place at the table where it shapes the culture of the church, where she brings the data where she brings what she's listened to in the community because there's a community of, 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 of what we call um, Madias mm-hmm. that have wisdom and that have knowledge and that have story. And so if we could place women in the pulpit to have a word to speak to the congregation, I think that's powerful. Because if the pastor partners with the Madias, with the aunties, with the millennials, I think if pastors would partner with them and give them voice, that would be a role to speaking up for the community. And so the point that you're making here is that um, in the midst of a a conversation that obviously is a cross-gender conversation right. to only hear one set of voices mm-hmm. exactly. doesn't yes. get it done. It doesn't get it done. And so, uh, and, and so there's some value in actually having uh, a cross-gender conversation about what's required because this is a cross-gender exchange that we're talking about. Yes. Can I say, as a youth pastor, I asked my pastor, um, could I have a series with sexual human sexuality for our children in the un, in the United Methodist Church. It's fifth grade. I, I, I'm a fifth. Well, I was a fifth grade lead teacher mm-hmm. um, at my particular church, and they every year they have a weekend where they kind of fire hose them with the sexuality. But I think we can expand that. <laughs> I went also, to that. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But it's good because it you know it's made in the image of God. It's, it's made fearfully and wonderfully. Is you know is how they enter into that. But also at our church, um, there's there are little um, uh, trifold cards that says if you are abused, if someone you love is hurting you or someone who loves you is hurting you, then this is the number that you can contact. This is who you can contact. That's something simple the black community can do and point them to a, a, a Genesis shelter. Right. If they don't have the capacity, if they don't have the finances, because um, if, we, if we look across the board at, at the uh, employment rate for black communities, we're underemployed 
according to every other race. And mm-hmm. so if you don't have those um, um, if you don't have those resources, uh, which you have to realize what what's important to you, because we can put our resources where we need to. Mm-hmm. And we can put our resources in human resources, mm-hmm. um, helping um, helping uh, survivors have a contact with somebody. Every city I know has some kind of shelter, some kind of way, and we can open up our own houses. Whoa, okay. Um, if you're talking about with regard to domestic violence, that's really pretty dangerous and oh, really sorry. pretty I'm scary. So no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> glad you brought it up. Yeah, because I think I hear so much you want to help and be a part of this. And what we've done at Genesis is actually, to your point, tried to remove any roadblock. You can't come because you have you have three babies with you. I'm going to take care of your mm-hmm. babies. You can't that's come good. because you don't have transportation. I'll give you a bus pass. You can't come because you think it costs anything. None of our services, no cost, mm-hmm. no strings so attached. And so we continue to try to work with communities, whether it's the minority communities or the whatever, to find out, tell me what your roadblocks are. Um, th- th- when a woman leaves, and on the, I, I know I probably overreacted on the bring oh, them into no, your no, home. No, 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 please. But yeah. uh, when a woman leaves, she is more, 75% more likely to be killed after she's left than while she's in it. So endangering you and your family and your children when there are places that are safe and secure and non-disclosed and um, surrounded with partnerships with police or whatever we need to do. Um, I, I, I think the problem is I think the problem is the women that you're referring to don't know that it's free and don't know that there's child care and don't know yeah. that I'll give them a bus pass or you can stay there or not stay there or make mm-hmm. choices and we'll walk beside you. Um, and so I don't know how to get that word. Clearly, I don't know how to get that word back into those communities well enough that this is not a problem. Well, you've been you've been partnering partnering with churches. Yes. Oh, yes. And so yeah. that's, no, we that's keep talking of, about. Yeah, that's part we of how we can do that. I also chair the Dallas County Fatality Review Committee, and to you said earlier, uh, uh, black women are at absolutely high risk. They're the number one killed by abusive partners, mm-hmm. um, in in uh, unproportionately so, improportionately so. Um, but we also know that, uh, and we sit around every month, r- honoring the lives of women who were killed by reviewing their deaths, and we sit and we mm-hmm. say, okay, did you see them? Did she turn to the pastor? Did she go to the police? Did she come to a shelter? And absolutely, almost without exception, it is no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. And what at first I'm like, what is the matter? What? Why aren't we get? Where are we not getting the word out? But when where we find intersection, we realize she doesn't die. So if she goes to her pastor and there's a woman on that staff who can hear her and believe her, or if she turns to a police officer and he literally makes an arrest of that perpetrator of crime, when she turns to her best friend and says. As I feel alone in this, that that person will be a yes person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's when uh, uh, we're making a difference. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we're running low on time. I, w- I want to transition, but I want to make a point, too. Um, in the last week, I had a set of parents come to me who said um, the, they're dealing with a, someone in middle school, and their child came to them and said, you know, I'm being encouraged during breaks to watch porn on mm-hmm. iPhone. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm responding to the idea of this program for fifth graders, and a lot of parents will go, no, 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 no I, I want to have this conversation in the home or however they want to handle it. And yet yeah. it's so pervasive in terms of setting up an environment in which you create perpetrators, that's where I'm going with this, mm-hmm. that, um, that if you don't deal with it early on and prepare 
um, young people early on for what is going on all around them, um, you, it, you and you turn a blind eye to it or you're quiet about it, the chances are of their getting sucked into it are actually um, mm-hmm. significant. So, Joy, what I wanted to ask you is, um, how do you? How do you, how do you, or what are things that can be done to to get at the perpetrator side of this? Um, and uh, and obviously one of the places to start is is training up young people so that they don't even start to go there. But still, what what are right. some of the things that you think can be done? On I the think we could side? look at the issue of pornography because mm-hmm. as pornography gets more violent, our culture kind of will look like pornography Um, and pornography tries to take it up a notch so they try and make it even more violent to have people uh, watch it and so these are what our men and women are viewing they're thinking this is okay they're thinking this is normal Um, so if we're not talking about that in our churches and our ministries with starting young um, they don't know that that is not okay that that is not acceptable so I think that is one practical way to start the conversation about that early and I would assume that a second feature that's important is the way in which sometimes perpetrators are protected. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that dimension of the equation. What can be done? Mm-hmm. The power. What, yeah, what can mm-hmm. be done in relationship to that? Mm-hmm. Power, privilege. Uh, there needs to be accountability amongst our leaders. And that could look different in every structure and mm-hmm. different organizations. But there needs to be someone checking on them in an accountable way, that they don't have that that means to get away with it. And part of the uh, – Jan, this is for you part – of, part of the idea of, of allowing a person to come out of the dangerous space, if I can say it that way, um, isn't, isn't a commentary on – and this is sometimes the way churches will excuse or, or be hesitant to do something – isn't a commentary on what the church has to say about the importance of marriage, but it really is a, mm-hmm. an, an important it's – it's, it's creating space so that people can be safe given the dynamics of what's ex- taking place within an existing relationship. Isn't that, mm-hmm. And uh, what I'm alluding to is, is that sometimes you get – Churches who are slow to talk about separation because they are also very um, hesitant to move towards divorce. Protective and so, of yeah, the marriage right. as, a, as, as a, an institution. Right, right, right. And so talk about that tension a little bit. No, I think you're right, but I think you have to circle back and from the top down be saying I, mm-hmm. abuse makes God cry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that marriage was, I think that marriage was destroyed with that first foul, disgusting thing he called her, or that first mm-hmm. punch or hit or slap, or the first time he wouldn't let her Certainly go Certainly is church. an assault on the marriage. It, 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 yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a real struggle. Yeah. I think God hates divorce, but I think he hates abuse even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I think all these are, are very important conversations, and we, you know, I'm sitting here looking at the clock and going, man, we just barely even got started. <laughs> Uh, but it is it is an important discussion. I do think things are changing. I do think the conversations are opening up. I do think um, the challenge to the church about thinking about this is is important. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a risk here with the clock being what it is, and that is I'm gonna let each of you say one short, crisp thing. Okay. So what what would be one last thing you'd want to say to everybody? And we'll just go around. Jarita, I'll let you start. 
I just say believe the survivors. Mm-hmm. Believe them. Ninety is it ninety six to ninety eight percent are telling the truth. Mm. Um, believe the survivors and do the work of of consent. Um, that that goes, I think, in marriage as well because there's. Yes sexual abuse in marriage and they use the scripture from Paul that says your body belongs to me mm-hmm. our bodies belong to God first mm-hmm. and I believe that when we walk in um, um, equal relationship I'm not married never been married but I think that when we um, stopped ob- objectifying one another for our pleasure that we can walk in the power of what that actually means okay well I, I, our time is oh, I'm so sorry. gone so um but anyway uh i want to thank y'all for coming in and just opening the door on the conversation and encouraging people one to talk about it and two to believe what it is that is present and to think about how to do that with sensitivity we hope this conversation has been enlightening for you we thank you for joining us at the table and we look back look forward to having you back with us again soon Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.